In today's episode of 750 Mills, we may be landlocked here on Earth, but you and your parents are using space-age technology probably without even realizing it. Then we have a lot of surprising things that science fiction writers only dreamed about during their times that eventually became reality in ours. All of that plus today's space and coffee related secret link in the feel good track with kind of a bittersweet video is coming at you right now. Hello everyone, welcome to 750 Mills, the show that highlights the good stuff in the world today and points you to news, music, and all manner of genuinely useful, or at the very least, mildly interesting things that's all meant to help you start off your day, or maybe even your week, right? Welcome to the show folks, my name is Andre, and today we're going to talk about space travel and all manner of space-related goodness. Now you might think, who cares, got more important things to deal with down here. Fair enough, but here's the thing. For a surprising number of everyday conveniences that you and I may be happy about having, we have space travel to thank those for. Plus, the research and technologies scientists are pushing forward that have to do with space travel that can also have huge impacts on how we live our lives just a few years down the line. You just might be surprised to find out what space age technologies are lying around your house, stuff that you've been using all along. Folks, it's been 51 years since man first set foot in the moon, 65 years since two of the world's most powerful countries started rushing to throw people out into space with the best rocket-powered tin cans scientists could slap together during the space race between America and the Soviet Union, and 33 years since the last episode of The Jetsons was written and aired. If you've never heard of The Jetsons, just imagine a space-age Flintstones that never got popular enough to get their own brand of chewable vitamins. And this year, you could say it's the dawn of a new era for space travel. Private companies have made huge strides in making space travel more accessible to everybody who isn't in some way, shape, or form employed by the government. Around the end of May this year, SpaceX became the first private business ever to launch astronauts into space, using its Falcon 9 rocket to ferry the Crew Dragon capsule to the International Space Station. So why is this such a huge thing? Well, you got two reasons for it. One, it moves technology faster due to private innovation and increasing competition. And this means that going forward, this is going to make space travel cheaper and more accessible as time goes by. For now, though, you'd have to be filthy rich to be able to buy a ticket for a ride to outer space. But the simple fact that you can do that now is a sign of progress. Back then, when cars were first invented, not everybody could afford access to the earliest cars put into production. But if you just look around us now, just about everyone can get a car if they wanted to buy one. Kinda like that. We could say that this could be the dawn of the age of democratized space travel. In the sense that, in maybe just a few more years, more and more ordinary people will be able to experience what it's like to leave the planet Earth and head out elsewhere. Uh, say for example, a lower Earth orbit, the Moon, or even Mars in any meaningful way. So that's right, Mars. SpaceX founder Elon Musk has designs on establishing a colony on the red planet within a few years, but he says that current technology makes it too expensive as it stands. The company, along with its competitors, is working on pushing the technologies involved in space travel forward 
so that it becomes more affordable and efficient to ferry both human beings and cargo throughout our solar system. Why, though, are private companies so interested in grabbing their own slice of space? Well, there's plenty of money to be made in extracting the rare metals and elements that you can only find outside of the Earth, on the moon or even asteroids, for example. And those things can be used and sold here on Earth for various industries for a pretty penny. Then you got the space tourism angle. Given the chance, who wouldn't want to pay through the nose to go on a zero-gravity joyride or even an interplanetary cruise at some point? Imagine this. Uh, just a few years ago, um, back in 2001, businessman Dennis Tito became the world's first paying space tourist. He paid around $20 million US dollars to head up and spend a week in the International Space Station. Next year, he was followed up there by Mark Shuttleworth. He's a CEO of Canonical. Um, that's a company that makes Ubuntu Linux. So you'll know this guy if you know about Linux and open source. And after that, the year following, Gregory Olson followed up there. And the list goes on and on. So it's expensive, and as expensive as it is at the moment, there is genuine interest in space tourism. It's actually happening now, albeit at a very slow trickle. What about people like you and me who don't quite have millions in disposable income? What do we get out of it right now? Well, before we look forward or even at the present, let's look back at what we've actually gotten thanks to space travel. Here's just a few of the space age things that we use almost every single day. Laptops. The first portable laptop was developed for use in outer space, and further hardware and software development led to the first commercially available laptops aimed at consumers. Then we got camera phones. About a third of all camera phones in the world contain technology that originally stemmed from NASA's work to create cameras that were small enough to fit on spacecraft. Then, one of my favorites is wireless headsets. Astronauts need to be able to communicate without being unnecessarily tethered to wires or spacecraft when they go up on the spacewalks. So they developed the technologies that we benefit from right now. Let's just tune out the world wirelessly when we're out and about. And then you got CAT scans, looking over at the medical community for now. NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL for short, had a lead role in developing the technology for digital imaging for space programmings. And this helped create CAT scanners and radiography, medical tech that's now very common in hospitals. So trainers, sneakers, you got spacesuit tech to thank for the existence of Nike Airs in particular, as well as former NASA engineer Frank Rudy, who pitched this idea to Nike in the first place. What else has space program related research given us? Well, we've got LEDs, water filtration systems, dust busters ear thermometers, memory foam, artificial limbs, the computer mouse, and even the breathing systems that firefighters use that helps protect them in the life-saving work that they gotta do for us. Here's the thing, all of that is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more stuff, including a bunch of ongoing research in the International Space Station right now that involves things like medical research with serious potential benefits to human health, like developing tech to help people with disabilities, robotics with practical applications here on Earth, and there's just way too much more to mention. 
So I'll drop a few links in the show notes for you to check out if you want to. And if you're really curious about the science and the technological research that's going on up there right now. Basically, every time we push boundaries out in space in terms of science, the tech that we use, uh, people back here on Earth benefit in a variety of genuinely useful ways. That and we get more cool stuff like Nike Airs. Anyway, speaking of imagining things into reality, if you've ever enjoyed any shows or movies, past or present, that had anything to do with space, the future, or things that don't quite exist yet in the real world, there's plenty of this stuff that we enjoy today that we might take for granted as just haven't been there. But at some point, the very ideas behind the things that we use almost every day started within somebody's imagination. Well, here's a few things that people with vivid imaginations first dreamed up and later on down the line, others picked up on and turned them into real life stuff that we're using right now. Here we go. Uh, first up is space stations. In the 1869 novella, The Brick Moon by Edward Everett Hale, the main character slung a skyscraper sized brick sphere with people in it into orbit. And then in 1971, over 100 years later, the Soviet Union launched the cylinder-shaped Salyut 1, which became the first ever space station to orbit the Earth. Then you have machine learning. In the 1872 novel Erewhon by Samuel Butler, the concept of computers eventually supplanting mankind as intelligent beings was floated. In real life, from the 1950s forward, AI researchers have been working on computers that were designed to outthink human beings, quite notably IBM's Arthur Samuel, who coded a checkers program that could refine his approach until it could beat its human opponent. Then you have portable audio. In Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 from 1953, you had thimble radios, which provided an electronic ocean of sound, music, and talk. The very next year, Texas Instruments debuted the first consumer targeted portable radio, which had a single earphone. Now coming closer to the present day is 3D printers. In the show Star Trek, replicators could instantly materialize almost anything it needed to with a simple command. Well, today we got 3D printers that kind of operate to produce similar results We're producing everything from jewelry, food, and even body parts from digital blueprints. And we have mobile phones, still thanks to Star Trek. The original ideas stem from an in-show gadget character called the Communicator. Martin Cooper, who oversaw the invention of the first mobile phone in the 70s, directly credits the show as being the inspiration for coming up with the real-life hardware. And there's plenty more. Tablets like the iPad were inspired by another Star Trek device from the show in the late 80s went by the name PAD, that's P-A-D-D, which stood for Personal Access Display Device. And eventually the iPad became reality as we know. Then you got light-powered spacecraft and moon landings were first conceptualized by Jules Verne in the latter half of the 1800s. Then we also have self-driving cars, conceptualized by Isaac Asimov in the 1960s. And we know where that's going now. And finally, we have wearable tech like smartwatches, which made their first appearance in the early 60s in an episode of The Jetsons. There's plenty of shows and movies to draw from. 
But maybe one movie in particular stands out in recent memory, generally because of how good it was, and still is, by the way, and how well they presented the concepts of the future within the story, it just making it look and feel natural. So I'm talking about Back to the Future Part 2. I mean, the other two movies are really good as well, but Part 2 really takes the cake for me in terms of just the ideas that it presents. It predicted a number of things and changes that happened in society. They said what happened by 2015. That included things like cameras being everywhere, drones for news gathering, widescreen flat panel TVs, uh, multiple channels on it. You got smart homes, you got video calls, you got hands-free video games, you got hologram billboards. I'm not quite sure if we have that yet. Wearable technology, tablet computers with fingerprint scanners, head-mounted displays, dog-walking drones, and fingerprint scanning as security measures. Other aspects of the way they showed the future hadn't come to pass by 2015, but a lot of efforts were made to replicate the technologies that they put out there. The movie makes a few more conceptual predictions, but the two that stand out gotta be Marty's Air Mag sneakers with the auto-lacing feature and that hoverboard that he was using in that scene right over there. Nike did try to make the sneakers happen, but it didn't exactly come out the way that everybody would have liked. In 2009, they filed a patent for the self-lacing shoes, and the way it looks resembles the sneakers worn by Marty in the movie. Uh, Tinker Hatfield, one of the shoes designers, said in 2014 that they would come out with the shoes with power lacing tech in 2015, and they did at some point come out with a few designs based on it. Uh... One is a movie-based commemorative version of the Air Mags, and the other was an actual consumer market model called the HyperAdapt 1.0. If you look on YouTube, there's a bunch of videos that show wear testers checking out the IRL power-lacing Nikes, and it's something. If you watch a scene where Marty puts on the sneakers for the first time, it's a clear case of real-world tech just not living up to the concept for now. Anyway, just gotta say that Nike had two decades to and change to get this done. So, so it's a little, little bit of a letdown. But anyway, I'll put a couple of clips in the show notes side by side so you can see the differences between the in-movie sneakers and what we actually have right now. Then we have the hoverboard. It's one of the coolest bits from the movie and as a concept, you just gotta love it. But it's pretty hard to just get it done in real life, even though plenty of people have been trying. The closest anyone's gotten to replicating the concept is back in 2011 when researchers from a university in Paris, I don't think I can pronounce the names, I'm not, I'm not even going to try, they built a working real-life hoverboard. The real-life hoverboard is pretty chunky though. It's about a, I'm looking at it, and it's about as thick as a hand, it has a superconducting plate underneath, which in turn needs to be kept cool by liquid nitrogen. So while you'd be riding on the thing, there's a slanted plastic tube sticking out of the rear end of the board blowing off gas as you're making your way on a railway line with magnets on it. Because that's the only way you'll be able to hover. It's just about one or even two inches off the ground and not much more. Without the railway and all the other bits it needs, the board can't levitate or go anywhere by itself. So yeah, it's pretty restrictive. It's kind of like those maglev trains in Japan. So that's where we are. That's where we're at so far. Not Quite sure we're gonna get Marty McFly's hoverboards anytime soon. But anyway, there's, there's a lot of great stuff 
that we have science fiction and we have space travel to thank for. It's quite interesting when you look at the history and when we look at where the possibilities might take us, not in the far off distance, but in the near future. Anyway, folks, it's time for this episode's featured track, and this is both keeping with the theme of this episode having to do with space, science fiction, and something that's just plain good to listen to and watch. The song is called Shelter by Maddion and Porter Robinson, which has to be one of the best synth-pop songs I've had the pleasure of listening to and watching the music video. And I'll link to that in the show notes, and I really recommend you watch it. It's a genuinely feel-good song with a high-concept music video that's kind of bittersweet, but it's all good. That's it for this episode of 750 Mills. Make sure you head on over to 750ml.fm to check out all the show notes, which includes the feature track that I'm confident you'll be glad you'll have listened to, the tasty 0G secret link of the episode, and everything else we've talked about. You can subscribe and listen to the 750 Mills podcast on podomatic.com and Spotify. Just type in 750ML podcast in the search box and tap on the follow button. And the podcast is also available on YouTube if you like it better over there. Links to that are in the show notes for this episode as well, which you can find on 750ML.fm. If it doesn't load for the first time, try refreshing or hitting the enter button again. That's 750ML.fm. Anyway, folks, thanks for hanging out with me. My name is Andre. This has been the 750 Mills podcast. And I hope you have a good day. Take care now.